You are listening to Moments in the Word, brought to you by Lighthouse Gospel Ministries. Go ahead and open your Bibles, Genesis 24. Genesis 24. This is a text I've been wanting to teach on for a long time. When Pastor called me on Monday, I thought this is the perfect chance to preach from Genesis 24. So, I don't have a traditional text because we're going to read through the entire chapter, which is 60 plus verses. So to save you from having to listen to 60 plus verses and then hearing them again, we're just going to read through. I'll comment as we go and then kind of draw some conclusions at the end uh, as well. So let's get started. Genesis 24, we'll start in verse number one. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. So Abraham is near death. He wants to marry off his son. He instructs the servant not to take a wife for Isaac of the Canaanites. Why is that? Right? This is important. The Canaanites were what? Pagans, right? They were wicked, unsaved people that Abraham was dwelling among. And so he says, don't take him a wife from the pagans. Take him a wife from my kindred, from my people, right? Because Abraham's family knew the Lord. We see that later on. And so he says, don't take a wife from them. Take a wife from uh, my people. Solomon made this mistake. Turn briefly to 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to read a couple different passages and come back to Genesis 24. 1 Kings chapter 11. And we're going to look at verse number 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love, and he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines. And his wives turned away his heart, for it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Right? So Solomon loved many strange women. This doesn't mean they were Star Trek fans. Okay? This means that the word strange means what? Foreign women. Right? Non-Jews. Right? Not of the covenant people. So he loved these foreign women who worshipped pagan gods. And why did God say not to do that? Did God say that because God's a racist and doesn't want us to marry outside? No. God said that because they don't worship him. And they're going to turn his heart away from him. And what do we see in the text? Solomon loved these foreign women, right? All He mentions the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites. And it goes on and on and on. And then it says when Solomon's old, his wives turned his heart from the Lord. The very reason, right, that he was not to do that happened to him. This is why Abraham said, don't take a wife from the Canaanites, because he'll start to, Isaac will start to worship the Canaanite gods. They'll turn his heart. It's amazing the things that a man will do for a woman, right? That's why women are dangerous to guys sometimes, because they can draw them away, right? They'll, they'll love that person more than they'll love God. And so this is what happened to Solomon. Solomon's heart got turned. It doesn't say Solomon turned his own heart, does it? It says his wives turned his heart away from following the Lord. So he married people he was not supposed to, and this was the result. 
He loved them more than he loved God. This is what Abraham is warning against. We need to learn this in our day. Okay, It's very important. It is sinful for a Christian to marry a non-Christian. We are not to take wives or husbands of the pagans, of the heathen. See, the problem in our society is we've lost the distinction between the heathen and the Christian. Right? We just think we're all we're all the same. They just maybe believe a little different. No, it's just like it was in the Bible. They are pagans, they are heathen, they are idol worshippers, even if they don't, even if they're atheists, they're idol worshippers. They worship secular humanism, they worship themselves. They don't worship the true God of the Bible. And therefore, we are not to take spouses from among the heathen. Why? Because God hates the heathen, right? No, because they will turn our hearts from following Christ. How often do you see Christians dating non-Christians and that non-Christian turns a Christian's heart away from God? Or they marry that person that they've been dating that's not a Christian, and what happens? They end up a nice Christian family. Most of the time that doesn't happen. No, they end up going the other direction. It turns their heart away from God. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Christians who marry unbelievers are unwise, but more than that, they're in blatant sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Okay, that's not a suggestion. When you see be ye not, that's a command. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with Darkness. I think this applies to more than just marriage. I think it applies to business partners. I don't, I don't think a Christian and a non-Christian should yoke up in their business. I, I don't think that's ever going to work out. It never does work out. Because the Christian's interests are vastly different than the secular man's interests. The Christian man, if he's a true Christian man, shouldn't be all about the money and the profits. and all, right? But the, the non-Christian, that's all he's going to care about is that. Right? He's not going to have the same principles that the Christian man has. But in marriage, in, in, in the context of the marriage, what it's talking about, two people cannot pull the yoke together if they don't agree with one another. They're going to pull separate directions. They're going to pull separate directions. Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy 22 here. Turn to Deuteronomy 22. The passage in 2 Corinthians 6 is a very close quotation of Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22, verse 9 through 11. Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with diverse seeds, lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard be defiled. Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Thou shalt not wear a garment of diverse sorts as of woolen and linen together. Have you ever wondered why God made those laws? See, I grew up with very kind of shallow Bible teaching. And so I... Nobody ever explained why you couldn't put two fabrics together, why you couldn't sew two seeds together. You know, it was just, it just, it's one of those arbitrary rules that God just made up. And then you hear unbelievers today say, well, do you wear garments with two different fabrics? Or The law was there to teach the people of Israel a lesson. It was separation. Some things don't mix together. Some things don't work together. He was teaching them. And Paul is quoting this verse in Deuteronomy in the context of Christians and non-Christians yoking together. That's what he's talking about there. Light and darkness don't mix. Christ and Belial don't mix. Believers and unbelievers cannot yoke together. Go back to Genesis 24. 
So Abraham was adamant, do not take a bride from the children of the Canaanites. Okay? That's a lesson that we need to learn today. Look at verse uh, 5 of Genesis 24. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again into the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear to him concerning that matter. So the servant's looking for contingency. What if I find someone and she doesn't want to come back, right? So Abraham says, okay, well, you're free from the oath if that happens. But don't take Isaac back there. God called Abraham out. God promised him this land, okay? But you notice how Abraham's very confident in God, right? It's like, it's, it's, with Abraham, he keep going back to this again. It's like with, like with the sacrifice of Isaac, how he was confident that, that God had given him the promised son. God wasn't taking the promised son away. So if he sacrifices Isaac, he's just going to raise Isaac back from the dead because he was so confident. He's like, me and the boy, we're going to go sacrifice, and we're coming back to you again. God will provide himself a lamb for burnt offering. He was confident in what God was doing. And so he says here, don't take him back to the land that God called me out of. God promised me this land. And God's going to send his angel ahead of you to provide somebody. Okay, fine. If she doesn't want to come back, you're free from this. But I'm confident God's going to provide somebody for Isaac. Because what did God promise him through Isaac? A seed. To have a seed, you have to have what? A wife. So Abraham's confidence never wavered that God was going to do what he promised. Verse 10 through 14. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia under the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I'll give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. So the servant starts in the right place. What does he start with? Prayer, right? He's not just picking out the prettiest. He's not just picking out the one that he thinks is best. He's putting this to prayer, okay? Number one, when we marry, don't marry unbelievers. Number two, when we're looking for someone to marry, pray about it. Go to God first. Uh, I say this a lot, and I'll say it again. Uh, I, I'm learning as I get older, I'm learning more and more to lean on the leading of the Lord in decision-making because I've made so many bad decisions in my life, I don't trust myself right? So when picking a spouse, don't trust yourself, trust the Lord, okay? Trust the Lord. Uh, the servant, knowing the God of Abraham, looks to God to bring the right woman, okay? Don't look for marriage the way an unbeliever looks for marriage. Don't date around. Don't try to find someone that fits your personality profile or the looks that you think they should have, 
None of that matters. What matters is what is the will of God? Eve was brought to Adam by God when the need presented itself. Think about that. There was not found a help meet for Adam, right? So there was a search made among the animals. Nothing was going to work out to be a companion for Adam. The need came up. He needed a companion. He looked among the animals for someone like him to commune with. He didn't find one. So then God, seeing the need, put him to sleep and brought Eve to Adam when the need was there. Okay. Um, some of our, 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 my problem when I was younger was I, I thought the need was the need when the need wasn't the need. In other words, the need is a need when God decides it's a need, not when I decide it's a need. Until God sees the need, I need to cool it and stop trying to put my will out there, right? Adam didn't, didn't force the issue. He, he was asleep in the will of God until God woke him and brought him his Eve, okay? Um, we need to learn to wait patiently for the Lord. That's what the servant is doing. The servant's coming to this strange place he probably has never been before looking for a wife for Isaac, and the first thing he does is he goes to the Lord and says, Lord, you show me. He didn't say, all right, Lord, you show me. Now I'm going to go out and pick one. He's going to sit there and wait until the Lord brings it to him. Um, you know, I, I looked for many years for a wife, and I found many bad women, many bad women that were not the right person for me, that I could have ran off with. Thank goodness the Lord was merciful and didn't let any of those work out for me because I found one. You know how I found her? We were on dating websites and we were just looking. No, we weren't. No. I, I had, uh, I had, uh, I forget why now, but I had, it was just the ordinary circumstance of life. That's what we see here with the servant too, right? As she comes to get water, as she's doing the ordinary things of life, he's looking for a wife. Uh, for Isaac, so so except, I don't know why I had locked my cat in my bedroom and I forgot my window was open and my cat fell out the window. I went to the I went to the store and came back and couldn't find my cat. Really, my window was open. Forget now why I locked the cat in there. Anyways, it may have been an accident. Um, so the cat, I'm on the second story of the apartment building and the cat falls out the window. So I have to go look for the cat. By looking for the cat on a Wednesday, I miss church. I find the cat. The cat is fine. We get back home. My roommate and I are like, what should we do? We miss church. Well, my grandma, my roommate's grandma, was a Catholic and, and uh, left uh, a flyer about a prayer vigil at an abortion clinic. We said, well, where's the abortion clinic? So we drove to the wrong one. We drove to the one by Mercy Hospital, and there was nobody there. And so we said, oh, well, there's an address on here, so let's go to the address. And so we drove to the address... And we get there, and there's a single lady out there at the prayer vigil, right? Not planned, again. So my being there wasn't planned, and her being there wasn't planned because somebody else was supposed to be there, and they didn't show up, and since her parents were running it, they asked her to go cover time, and she happened to get there just before I arrived there, and that's how we met. In other words, God brings people to you in the course of your life if you'll wait patiently for him. We don't have to force the issue. God can do it. We can still trust the Lord to bring the right people together at just the right time. Let's go on. Verse 15. And it came to pass before he had done speaking that, behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. She went down to the well and filled her pitcher. 
and came up, and the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, uh, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again into the well to draw water and drew for, his cam- for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she, or which she bare unto Nahor. She said, Moreover unto him, we have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth, I being in the way. The Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So their faith in God paid off, and God directed him to the right person. We often fail to recognize the leading of the Lord as it often comes in the ordinary circumstances of life. Understand that. The leading of the Lord often comes in the normal course of events. We must be looking out. If we're praying for something, if we're looking for a wife, right, that God can bring us to the normal course of circumstances, um, when I came back to this church in 2010, uh, it was a normal, I wasn't looking. I mean, I, I, I just left my other church that I found out was preaching heresy. And I, I, I was praying about where to go to church. And I, I laid out the Lord like three different, op- no, two different options, two different options. And uh, I said, Lord, I want to go to one of these churches. Which one should I go to? And I was praying about it and thinking about it. And in the normal course of events, I was out with the prayer vigil and her parents asked me to, to come to churches. I know the pastors to get to try to get signatures for a, a, a pro-life thing and a personal amendment, right? And so I came, I knew the pastor already, so I came, stopped by here. And then he invited me to come to get signatures on Sunday. For me. I mean, it was just a normal course. I was just out running errands. And after coming to church here, it was like the Lord saying, well, there burdened about abortion and you're doing that kind of stuff right now so this is where you should be right and so it was just a normal course of events uh, that led to 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 finding god's will we were looking for our house Uh, we went to to tons of houses kept looking around couldn't find the right house couldn't find the house we felt comfortable with then one day i get a text on my phone an alert of a house is for sale and i i get thousands of those when i was looking for a house they just bombard you with text about look at this place look at this place and I normally just swiped it off the screen and this time I was wait just barely waking up didn't have my glasses on I was trying to swipe 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 I couldn't get it quite right so I looked at it and it was the house we ended up buying the Lord had for us and so it was just a normal course of events in other words it wasn't while we were out looking through the classifieds it was it was just something that the Lord opened up if we open our eyes when we're praying for things we need to look for answers to prayer because they're there God leads us right to things I was we're reading uh, we read biographies as kind of a, a devotional you know most nights my wife and I and we were just reading not too long ago ordained to the Lord uh, biography of Harry Ironside and he was stuck in Fresno uh, without enough money to get home to Oakland. And so he had enough money for a couple of nights in a hotel. And on like the last night he was in the hotel, 
he was out of money, didn't have anywhere to stay, didn't have any food, didn't have any way to get to his family. And so he kneels down and he prays for the Lord to direct him to a way to get the needs met that he had. While he's praying, he happens to hear a Salvation Army band outside. So he gets up and goes outside, and as he's listening to their testimonies and the songs that they're singing, he hears down the street another open-air meeting going on, and he ends up going there and speaking there and getting a, a, a pastor there in town, heard him speaking there. He was there for five nights and got offerings from them. And then that pastor says, hey, come stay in my house for the next two weeks and teach at our church the next two weeks. He ended up with a, a place to stay, food to eat, and money to get back to Oakland with. Well, he was just, while he's praying, he happens to hear music and just kind of follows it. In other words, there was no great manna falling from the sky. It was just a normal course of events. That's what we have here with the servant. It was just a normal course of events. And he's looking for answers to prayer. We'll see them if we look for them. For her, it was just another household duty. Go get water. Same thing she does every night. For the servant, he could have thought, well, I just happened to arrive here at this time, at the time to draw water. No, he didn't just happen. Nothing just happens. God is sovereign over everything, right? He arrived there at that time because God appointed him to arrive at that time. And she was going to have to get the water instead of one of her other siblings because God had wanted for her to go out and get water. What seems to both of them to just be ordinary things or, or, or uh, coincidence timing was none of those things, right? It was the working of God. In verses 28 to 49, we'll skip those. The servant speaks with Rebecca's father and recounts for him all the events that led up to their meeting. And I like his response to the situation. Look at verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceeded from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. If only more Christians would be this way, right? It's the Lord's will. It's the Lord's will. I can't speak bad or good about it. It's the Lord's will. The Lord did this. Uh, where does that apply to us? How about, uh, this isn't very popular, but how about the election of, of political leaders, right? How many Christians do we all know that sit and bellyache about who won the presidential We're, what, two years in, they're still, they're still whining about it. But you know, the Bible tells me that God raises up whom he will, and he puts down whom he will. When, 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 when Biden won, I believe it was the will of God. When Trump won, I believe it was the will of God. When Obama won, I believe it was the will of God. When, and go back, Bush and Clinton and Reagan and Bush and Carter, right? Because the Bible says that God raises up leaders and God puts down leaders. And God never looks at an American election and goes, oops, I didn't mean for that to happen. I'm shocked, right? No, he's in complete control. So maybe we should have the attitude of, this thing proceeds from the Lord. I'm not going to speak bad or good about it. I mean, speak up for righteousness when they do something unright. I'm not saying that. But I'm not going to bellyache about it. How about when new pastors come into churches? I remember I remember when this church here, we voted unanimously for a pastor. And a couple weeks later, some people were like, I don't like him. I'm going somewhere. A pastor comes to the church unanimous vote. That's, that thing comes from the Lord. The Lord brought our pastor to us. Those Christians should have said, you know what? Eh, our personalities kind of clash, but this thing comes from the Lord. I can't speak good or bad about it. It, it. In other words, we should have a settled resolve when things happen, when things come to pass, that God put us in this. I mean, people complain about their jobs all the time. But God gave me my job, right? And I'll leave if he gives me another one. But until then, but if I sit and complain, oh, I hate my job. Oh, I hate this. Oh, I hate. It came from the Lord. 
I can't speak good or bad about it. If we had this attitude, it would solve so much bellyaching in the church, and it would stop so many church splits if we just followed this pattern. Let's go on, verse 51. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things, and they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night, and they rose up in the morning, and he said, Send me away unto my master and her brother, and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us for a few days, at the least ten, after that she shall go. And he said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way, send me away, that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the damsel, and inquired her mouth, and they called Rebekah, and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her uh, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah, and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. And Rebekah arose, and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels, and followed the man, and the servant took Rebekah, and went his way. They wanted to delay their obedience to the will of God. Right? Rebekah's family even said, This thing comes from the Lord. Right? This thing comes from the Lord. But let her stay here for ten more days, and we'll let her go. Part of me thinks they probably wouldn't have let her go 10 more days later. It'd be like, oh, 10 more days, oh, 10 more days, right? They want to delay it. We've all heard the saying, delayed obedience is disobedience. And Abraham's servant says, no, 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 this thing's from the Lord. You guys have agreed this is from the Lord. Let's do it right now. Let's be obedient right away. Once you discern the will of God, be quick to obey. Be quick to obey. Don't delay. When God reveals his will, act on it. That's our job. Our job is immediate obedience. Verse 62 and 63. And Isaac came from the way of the well, that, that name, I, I don't know how to say it. For he dwelt in the south country, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide. And he lifted up his, his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. So Isaac came out into a field or a place of solitude. It says to meditate. Most commentators agree this was to commune with God. It was uh, to pray. It was to, to be out in nature, to be secluded, alone, around, um, around God's natural creation and to commune with God uh, that way. And so um, he, could, he could put his focus on the elements of nature undisturbed as he communed with God. He did this in the evening after the busyness of the day. We would be wise to set aside some time every day to be alone with God, where we can set our focus on God alone, where we can have quietness and solitude and to meditate on the Word of God and to talk to God. This is a wise practice. And the way that it words it, um, he went out, he went out in, the, in the field to, to meditate in the field of eventide. It, it sounds from the language like it's something he did on a regular basis. This was his regular practice. In the evening, He'd go out in the cool of the evening when the work was done, and he'd get alone with God, alone with nature, and he put his focus on God. I think it'd be smart for us to do that uh, every day. And then verse, uh, I didn't put the verse number, I guess it's 64. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. She's not smoking, I promise. For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil 
and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So we finished the chapter and a beautiful story of God's provision. So I want to recap this and just kind of take away some things that we learned from it, okay? First, first of all, principles we can draw. Christians should not marry unbelievers. This is a sin, okay? Let that be, let that be understood. This is a sin in the sight of God because they will draw away our hearts from following the Lord. This is why Abraham sent his servant away from the Canaanites. Number two, God will bring spouses together in his time. If it's his will, we don't go seeking companionship as the world seeks it. You say, well, what happens if I get to be 30, 35, 40, and God hasn't brought me anybody? Then God doesn't want you to have anybody. In that case, it's dangerous to go find somebody. We need to be at rest in the will of God. That's the point. We need to be at rest. In the even, even Abraham, although he was confident that God was going to do that because he was promised a seed, he told the servant, well, if it doesn't happen, don't, don't go back there. Just come back here. Just let him be alone then. <laughs> let God just drop a woman on from the sky. I mean, in other words, be at rest in the will of God. Um, it's, it's not God's will that everybody be married. We can agree on that. You say, but I have the desire. I keep hearing people talk about this. You hear someone say, well, if you have the desire to be married, then that must be God's will for your life. Baloney. Sometimes I've had the desire to steal. That means God's will for me to steal. Sometimes I've had the desire to do all kinds of things I shouldn't do, right? But that's not the will of God. The fact that I desire to be married, and if I don't get married, you say, well, that, that just means I need to do something, I need to take initiative. No, you don't. Rest in the will of God. God will bring people. And if he doesn't, it's not his will. Be comfortable with that. We need to learn to be comfortable with no when it comes from God, okay? Of course, from that, I think about the story of Adam and Eve, right? God brought Eve to Adam in his time. Number three, we should seek the Lord in every situation, everything. Nothing is too little for the Lord, okay? The servant gets there. What's the first thing he does? He prays. Lord, direct me to this person, right? Lord, I'm looking to you to meet this need. We need to seek the Lord in everything. I can give you stories about God being in our house buying, how God being in the car that we own. I mean, just every little thing, the job that I have, the timing of my promotion at work was, I mean, we we're just talking about this just the other day. Just It, it was just other things that were going on at the time that we couldn't be doing our evangelism ministry we're doing right now had I still been on the night shift. And the pastor who opened up these opportunities for us, we met him, and that same week we met him is when I got the promotion to work the shift I'm working now that allows me to go preach on Sundays at churches. I mean, everything is just the will of God. We need to be comfortable in the will of God. And we need to seek the Lord in every situation and then look for Him to, look to him to provide. Look in the daily mundane things. That's where the will of God is. Sometimes, yes, it's a Damascus Road experience. Most of the time, it's checking the mail, going to the grocery store. You find that God answers prayers in those moments when you're just doing the things that you always do. Number four, we should be quick to obey the clear leading of the Lord. Delayed obedience is disobedience. 
When God has given us his clear will, we are to go through with it. Okay? We are to do it. Um, I, I think, I, personally, I think, you know, I, I can show you how my wife and I came together and how it was definitely the will of God and all signs pointed to that. And I dated her for two years when I probably should have married her a lot sooner. You know why? Because of my own, it wasn't the will of God, my own will, my own desires, hesitancy to get married. It, was, it had nothing to do with God. I should have been obedient earlier than that. Right? So when we know the will of God, we need to act on the will of God. When God makes something clear, we don't put it off. We just go and do it. And then number five, we see the importance of being alone with God as a practice. Isaac was out in the field meditating on the Lord, communing with the Lord, away from the busyness, away from the noise, away from distraction. That's something we should all be doing. If you're trying to discern the will of the Lord, you've got to be with the Lord, right? Where I'm not going to know the will of my wife if I never see my wife. I mean, we know, we know couples who practically live in different houses and never see each other. And they're never on the same page and they never agree. And they just, you know why? Because they don't know each other. They're not around. They don't commune with each other. If I'm going to know my wife's will, I need to know my wife. I need to commune with her and talk with her. We cannot pretend that we're trying to follow the will of God if we don't have alone time with God. We just, we're fooling ourselves. So let me wrap this up. What I love the most about this chapter is the clear picture of the salvation of God's people that we see here. I want you to see it. Abraham pictures God the Father who sends the Holy Spirit, pictured here as the servant, to take a bride for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, pictured here as Isaac, who, like Jesus, is the promised son born of a miraculous birth. It's a glorious picture of the redemption of God's people and a reminder that just as Isaac was waiting in the field for his bride, so Christ stands waiting as his sheep are gathered in. Let me leave you with the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is the Son, we are the bride, and we are gathering in the bride to be presented to the Son. And that is the picture that we get in this picture of Isaac and the servant and all of that. We see, yes, principles we can apply to our lives. We see the, the, the faith of Abraham again being exercised, right? He was so confident that you're going to find a wife, but if you don't, fine. Don't worry about it. But God's going to provide somebody. The angel of the Lord can go before you because God's promised me to see. We see that faith of Abraham. And then, of course, we see the picture of, of God sending the Holy Spirit to gather the bride to present to Christ the promised son and that, that is pictured here as Isaac in the story. It's a wonderful story. I hope you got something out of it. With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this evening, for the chance we have had to gather in your word, Lord. And we thank you for this wonderful picture here, this picture of the promised son, the servant, the helper, the Holy Spirit, who's gathering Christ's bride today. And he's waiting for that bride to come, to come to its fullness. We thank you so much for the story of Isaac and Rebecca. We thank you for the principles we've learned, and we thank you for the faith of Abraham. 
The faith that says, I'll sacrifice the promised son. God will raise him up again. Don't worry about finding a wife. God will send his angel before you. God's made me promises, and he's going to fulfill those promises. May we be as staunch in our faith as our father Abraham is, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Moments in the Word. Lighthouse Gospel Ministries is an outreach ministry focused in street and prison evangelism, as well as reaching the needy with hope and help. To partner with us financially, go to gospelbeacon.org. All donations are tax deductible. We hope you were blessed and hope you will join us again for Moments in the Word.